You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Trying to keep up with the NBA playoff picture. You better make sure you have the absolute most up-to-date standings because it keeps changing. And some of the favorites that we've kind of counted on all year long maybe aren't the favorites anymore. Might even be at risk of going up against some pretty good other teams early in the postseason and seeing their season end prematurely. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can find all sorts of goodies there, including some show stuff you missed. And happy Cinco de Mayo. We're going to get into my biggest problem with Cinco de Mayo later in the show. But Fitz, while we're on the topic of the NBA, we got a whole bunch of games tonight with a lot on the line. We've got the Suns Hawks at 8 Eastern. Suns have five straight wins. They're tied for first in the West right now while the Hawks are in fifth. Wizards Bucks at the same time. Wizards clinging to the final playoff spot. A shock after the way they started this season. The Bucks are just three out of the number one spot there in the East. The Knicks and Nuggets facing off at 9 Eastern. Both are in fourth. And we have Spurs Jazz at 9 Eastern. The Jazz tied with the aforementioned Suns for first in the West, while the Spurs are currently trying to hold off the Pelicans by two for the final spot in the play-in. There is a lot at stake here, and as you're as you're trying to keep up here, one of the things to remember, Fitz, is, of course, that new play-in system that we've heard a lot of complaining about from some folks who didn't think they would be anywhere near having to play in it. Yeah, and the fact is, it's part of what I love about where we are right now. Usually the conversation is so dominated by tanking and who's really out of it and what teams are trying to do to sort of get to the bottom of the uh, the rankings. And at this point, what we have in the standings, you're right. I mean, you have a Wizards team that's five games under 500, but they're eight and two in their last 10. And now they have a real opportunity. Should there be a play, should they qualify for the play in, they have a real opportunity to advance into this thing. And that's not what we're used to seeing. I think it actually makes for more interesting basketball coming in because not only are teams trying to get their way into the 10 spot, teams are fighting to keep their way out of the seven slot. That's where the mm-hmm. play in starts seven, eight, nine, ten. 10, right? So if you're the Lakers, you care about every single game right now because you're trying to somehow, I can't believe I'm saying this, not find yourself into that playoff. But conversely, even in the East, if you're the Heat, you've only got a half a game lead right now over the Celtics for that seven spot. So all of a sudden, six matters versus seven, and then eight, nine, ten is all having impact that they wouldn't have otherwise. It's what's making, I think, the end of the season really interesting. Yeah, for those of you who are not up to date on exactly how it works, what you'll remember uh, about you know this this vote being made was what Fitz pointed out. It was all about preventing teams from tanking, especially if they had a closer shot to be up in the postseason instead of losing to get a better spot in the lottery. They made the odds worse on being able to get the top picks in the lottery, and they made it give something to fight for with the plan. So the top six seeds in the conference are in. And then the seven, eight seeds are up for grabs. Number seven and number eight, when the season ends, play. The winner of that is the number seven seed. Then the nine and ten play, and the winner of that faces off against the loser of seven, eight to get the eight seed. Now, this is especially meaningful in the West, Fitz, because if you look at if the season ended today, who you would have to possibly play in one of those (laughs) play-in games, it's the Blazers, okay? The Blazers, the Warriors, Ain't nobody want to play Steph Curry in a one-game play-in. Like, there is just no guarantee that he doesn't turn on the burners. I know he doesn't have a lot of help in Golden State, but I'm not I'm not going up against that guy in a one-game and, and hoping he doesn't get hot. And then the Grizzlies, 
solid team, and the Spurs, especially well-coached team that have a shot to break your heart. So the West especially to me is fascinating in terms of who could end up having a rough stretch in the regular season, send them down to a plane where they get bounced by a team that all season long has not been quite as good. Well, and you mentioned that Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. I'm just going to play for a moment devil's advocate. And let's just say things turn around. The Lakers end up in that seven seed. You can Mm -hmm. end up with the Lakers and Steph in one matchup. (laughs) And then Ja Morant, who's one of the most exciting young players in the NBA, taking on the Spurs. We all know, you know, at that point, the Spurs, right? So those, that brand power in a play-in just is, it's astonishing. And I don't think it's what anybody, like it's a dream scenario. Nobody in the NBA could have predicted they'd be getting that. They they would have thought that they might have a a sneaky way to get the Pelicans into it, for example, uh, who, you know, sit a couple of games out, looks like they won't make it. But they expected, I think, teams like the Pelicans and Kings to be in that conversation, not brands that really impact the viewership of the NBA. And there is that that shot. And a Lakers team that is not playing very well could have to fight for their life just to have the opportunity to advance into the normal playoff, which would be incredible, but also has to have everybody at the NBA very nervous mm-hmm. that there's some chance that the Lakers don't advance through that. Yeah, it's working out well in terms of keeping interest right now, despite injuries, that people are really wanting to see where the Lakers are hovering. But would be a tough blow to see LeBron and AD and that team out right away. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Mike Breen was on Barton Hahn today, one of our uh, great play-by-play guys for ESPN here, talking about just how many teams are now sort of in the mix. And if you'll remember, we came into the season prioritizing the Lakers while also saying, you know, the Clippers always have a shot. And, you know, we always have our eye on on the trailblazers. And then in the East, it was all about the, the Sixers and the Bucks and then the Nets once that super team came around. Well, as the teams keep shifting, Breen's got eight of them that could win it all. If you go to the West, Phoenix and Utah absolutely have a chance to win the whole thing. Um, because I think the Clippers and the Lakers have kind of come back down to earth a little bit for various reasons. Circumstances of this season are part of that. And I also put Denver. Even though Jamal Murray is out, um, they still have a couple of other guys have to come back from from injury, uh, Will Barton and Monte Morris. Um, But I think Denver has a chance to win the whole thing. So right there, that's five teams in the West. And in the East – um, I think all three at the top have a legitimate chance to win the whole thing, uh, Philly, uh, Brooklyn, and Milwaukee. Uh, I do think there are other teams in this conference that have a chance to winning a playoff series or maybe even two, but I think those eight teams um, have what it takes, if healthy, uh, and that's a big if, uh, to win the whole thing. So Fitz, have you changed your playoff favorites and the amount of teams you're willing to put in the pot as potential actual winners? Yeah, I I think I have, honestly, because, you know, look at the East. And, you know, obviously I've said repeatedly I'm out on the nets. But when you start to look at the way that this thing is going to come together, if seeding sticks the way it is right now, not only would the the nets and the bucks sitting at the two and the three spots have an incredibly difficult draw as it stands right now because they would have to face each other before they even get the opportunity. Like the Bucks would have to go, in theory, through Miami as it stands right now. Then the Bucks would have to go through Brooklyn, and then they get Philly. So I'm looking at the 76ers saying, man, if they beat the winner of the play-in and then they face the Knicks or the Hawks, Philly's got to feel really good. Like suddenly it just looks like the path is clearing for Philly to get their way to the NBA finals. And on the other side of it, there are too many teams playing incredibly well in the West for us to continue to just assert that the Lakers will be fine. I want that to be the case because it's what I've said all year. 
but it's hard for me right now not to put some level of value to what the Jazz are doing or what the Suns are doing or even, as we've talked before, what the Clippers are doing when you see how difficult everything looks for the Lakers, right? I mean, it just doesn't seem like it's easy anymore for L.A. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. There are so many question marks for me because it was to me a matter of, all right, LeBron James and AD, as long as they're healthy, they'll be good. And then we'll see them go up against the super team. That's the Nets because I don't trust the Bucks in the postseason. Don't trust the Clippers in the postseason. I just don't think the Sixers will get it together to beat the Nets, despite the Nets awful defense. Now your guess is as good as mine coming up. <laughs> Jason Fitz will start the MLB bachelor process by eliminating the first five teams based on the most important rule of relationships, deal breakers. It's next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. I had the pleasure yesterday of watching my Chicago Cubs win two baseball games over the much-vaunted Dodgers. First, they shelled Clayton Kershaw. Then they absolutely left a 1,000 billion runners on base and couldn't score and then forced it into extras and then won on a David Bodie walk-off. And it was a whole lot of fun. That's what you get when you root for a baseball team with your heart and your soul. And Jason Fitz simply doesn't know what that's like. He doesn't have a baseball team. He's gone his whole life without an allegiance to any one franchise. And we're here to change that with something that we're calling... Major League Baseball Bachelor. The journey for love continues. I've been alone for way too long. I'm ready to fall in love. One man, 30 eligible competitors. Sarah convinced me that it was time to make a commitment. Not going to lie, I have mixed emotions. Who will capture Fitz's heart and win the final rose? Hi, my name is Jason Fitz, and I'm the Major League Bachelor. This is Major League Bachelor on Spain and Fitz. That's right. It's an important moment for a man. It's usually a more important moment for a boy, but that's not important. We have 30 baseball teams, Major League Baseball the fits today. level of a small child. That that's very true, and often the octave of voice uh, shared yeah, yeah. with young boys. That's just sometimes, not always. Um, we decided today that we were going to break this up into rounds, similar to the way I did college football bachelorette. And that would be how you sort of whittle your way down from 30 teams to your chosen team. And here's what it's going to look like. Uh, today, we eliminate five based on deal breakers, things that you simply can't get past. Then you eliminate five more based on uniforms. You hate five of the unis, those teams are out. Five more go away because they don't have any personalities that you particularly cling to. There's anyone fun and young and good to root for. Then you get down to 10 with ballpark food. This is a very important one. We will probably have to bring an expert on to break down the options at the various ballparks remaining. We'll get you to five there. Those five cities uh, will be the 10 that are left. will give you uh, five cities you decide you don't want to go to regularly. Those will be out. By the time we get to only five teams remaining, you go to intangibles, the stadium. What time are the games? What are the vibes? Who are the celebrity fans? What's your gut feeling? That'll get you to three. And then we will have reps from each of those teams come on and pitch you their best pitch as to why you should join the squad. This feels like a really good way to lay this out. I feel good about it, but, I, you know, I feel like i got to be really transparent here. I'm, I'm going to be eliminating five teams today that I didn't even give the chance to send me free swag, and that's that's that a bad a strategy. Point. Really. We really I mean, shouldn't have done that. Timing-wise, though, I think we really need to start doing this. And uh, yeah. so if you're willing to just accept swag from 25 instead of 30 teams, can we do that? I feel like that's fair. Plus, I don't, you know, as I as I think about the deal breakers, I wouldn't wear any other swag right. anyway. Perfect. Because exactly. Deal breakers. 
Perfect. If they have the deal breakers, then we need to get them out of here so that none of their stinky swag ends up anywhere near your body. Right? Very smart. So let's start with our initial criteria, which, as we pointed out, is the thing that is most important when you're going out into the world and looking for a long-term relationship, and that is to make a set of rules that cannot be broken, a criteria that cannot be moved, and that is deal breakers. If your boyfriend calls out his brother's name during sex, that's a deal breaker, ladies. And you have sexually transmitted crazy mouth. Deal breaker. He thinks he deserves a VJJ upgrade. He doesn't. He's not Tom Brady. Shut it down. Deal breaker. Okay, none of those are the things you're going to choose based on, right? Is it? No, no. No, okay. But I feel Just... good about Like, I feel like the standard has been set. The deal breaker yeah. standard is out there, like... Uh, and, and that is brilliant work, uh, by the way, for everybody uh, coming up with those. So uh, I'll start with one one team that's off the list for all of the right reasons, which is content. Like so much of what we do, Sarah, is about content. So the first team I have to take off my list, and this is this is painful for me, but I don't think the show is, is as much fun if you and I are rooting for the same team. So the first team that wow. I'm going to completely eliminate it is your Chicago Cubs. Wow. The very first team gone. That's hurt. That hurts. I get. I get why you're doing it. But there are some really bad, terrible, awful teams that have no redeeming qualities, and you still got rid of the Cubs first. Well, I, you know, I can't be involved with somebody that's seeing somebody else I know. I mean, that's just a deal breaker, that's right? Fair. Like, you're, you're you know what? I appreciate. It. We life, don't want to be out. fighting over. We don't want to be fighting over the same team. Now, another team. Easy. I've already identified this team. Another team. I'm taking off my list quickly. And it's for years of rooting against them, the Oakland A's. And this is just because I can't cheat on the Raiders. For years, the Raiders had to deal with the infield being in their stadium. So I needed the A's to lose as quickly as possible. When you've spent years thinking that the other person in that in the house is crazy, you can't suddenly turn right. around and hook up with that person. So, you right. know, I'm, I'm out on the A's. That's a fair point. And also, I think, you know, you want someone that's going to respect your space, even if you don't have the exact same vibes when it comes to cleanliness and tidiness and organization, someone that's just going to go ahead and turn your backyard into a baseball field, I think that's a clear deal breaker. Look at this. Okay, Spain and Fitz, we're giving our deal breakers as I go through uh, the Major League Bachelor process. And so the next one for me is a little bit of a throwback because I went to high school for a few years uh, near the end of my high school time in uh, PG County, Maryland, right? So right down from the Orioles. And Camden Yards was a new stadium because I'm old uh, in high school. And I went to Camden Yards and I remember standing in the stadium one day when I'd chosen not to go to school. It was a midday game. And uh, (laughs) so I was standing up and I was just offering encouragement. That's all I was doing was standing up and offering encouragement in a very quiet stadium. And, you know, the guy sitting a few rows behind me loudly yelled, sit down, you stupid jerk. And I always think of it when I stand up in stadiums. So you had your chance in high school. Now this is like Facebook. Just because things have gone pretty well for me, the Orioles, you don't get to come back into my life. You had your chance. We didn't make it then. We can't make it now. The Orioles off my list. Thank God you haven't been to many baseball games because there would be no one left on the list if teams were getting eliminated because someone was a jerk to you at the ballpark. I was being really supportive, and I wasn't even using <laughs> potty mouth, all right? So, you know, it's a little Should like, we just uh, preemptively I, get rid of the Phillies? Because they're going to probably throw things at your head. You know, I expect it there, though. Baltimore, <laughs> I, you know, I, 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 I had high expectations. Okay, so the next team that I'll eliminate from my list is, and this one is probably the easiest one. If you know, if you know looking around that you're getting into a relationship with a known cheater, 
you get out, right? Like there's just a spot where you know Mm -hmm. that, that, and everybody knows who I'm talking about. I'm out on the Astros. Look, you know, I can't can't support a cheater. So I can't get into that relationship. So I'm out. It'd be a very strange time to hop on board the Astros bandwagon. Like, honestly, I'm not going to lie. I have some very good friends who have such a bad picker. That they would be like, hey, that looks toxic. Can I get in on that? So I'm glad that you, as a married man who's passed, presumably, the toxic uh, errors and the bad picker, uh, you have decided to just go ahead and eliminate that before you even. I can't say the phrase. You know, sometimes they say, don't stick your name crazy. You're, you're electing not to do so, and you're saving yourself a lot of trouble. Yeah, everybody wants just a little crazy, but it has to be manageable crazy. Mm-hmm. It's too much The Astros are the way Astros. too crazy. You're yeah. absolutely right. All right, so the next one is a little bit of a mea culpa for my first one, right? Because I admitted at the beginning that the Cubs' first team not to get a rose from me. Well, conversely, I don't think it's a great idea if we pick the same city and rivaling teams. I don't, I don't want to fight with you all the time. So I'm out on the White Sox, Sarah. I'm Interesting. The Chicago White Sox. Out. I won't take the second best team in a city. I also won't take or second most popular team in a city, I should say that. And I don't think we should argue constantly. So I'm out on the White Sox. First of all, I don't hate the White Sox that much, but I do think that you're smart in saying, like, if I have a, a game, a, a team to select, why would I take the sloppy seconds of a city? Which is what the White Sox are. Everybody knows the Cubs are the real team here in Chicago. Uh, but the White Sox are not really my biggest rival. That would be the St. Louis Cardinals. So that's who you should be eliminating. Well, see, here's the problem. Like, St. Louis is pretty good, right? Like, a lot of history, a lot of passionate oh, families. No! I have a, Your I have logic a falls apart in round I, one. I, I have a Cardinals hat in my possession no. from going to an NLCS game. Oh, uh, there. no. And nobody was rude to me in that stadium, by the way. Uh, so, you know, but St. Louis, St. Louis is still on the list, Sarah. Is wow. I, I just, it, it, All right, so we got rid of the season ever. This could be a very dramatic <laughs> season. We've, we're down to the Cubs, White Sox, A's, Orioles, and Astros are out. 25 teams remain. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance, small business protection for more than vehicles with insurance expertise to keep your company moving forward. More at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Just want you to know I'm going to remember this, Fitz, and it may come back to bite you. Uh, you keeping the Cardinals around. Coming up, we're going to bring in a pro to talk more about MLB Bachelor as well as history in Seattle earlier today and more baseball news. It's coming up next, ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Let's head straight over to the Goodyear hotline to get some insight, not just on what we saw today, but on the entire season and my bachelor process. ESPN Major League Baseball insider Buster only joining us. Buster, let's start with Means. You just heard the call there, and when you hear no hitter, what and what meaning does that have this year in this current environment, the way baseball is being played now compared to previous years? Yeah, I mean, for John Means, I, I love stories like this. And baseball, I think, is unique uh, and different than the NFL or the NBA where you don't have players you know, in their late 20s make adjustments where they can improve to the degree that he has. You know, great changeup. He's increased his fastball velocity about, about, by about four or five miles per hour. And he's been one of the best pitchers in baseball this year. You know, the backstory, um, you know, just having lost his dad to pancreatic cancer, you're really happy for him. Um, look, I had a, an executive in baseball predict to me that we, you know, potentially during the course of the year might get 15 to 20 no-hitters. Uh, because uh, which would be a staggering number, but because of the direction the game has gone in, with the three true outcomes, with hitters looking to jack the ball, with pitchers uh, 
uh, absolutely dominating and, and a lot of concern among club executives that uh, the use of foreign substances by pitchers is, uh, you know, something that has been very refined and pitchers are learning how to spin the ball better than ever. Buster, you know, I, I completely agree with you. It's crazy to hear something like the first individual no-hitter since like the 60s and then consider that there could be one by the same team in a week. And it won't just won't have the same feel to it, but still a tremendous moment for John Means and for that team. Uh, speaking of great scenes, the scene at Yankee Stadium last night is the Astros Ooh. descend. Um, I heard that, you know, some of the fans who showed up in Oscar the Grouch outfits or had special things they wanted to bring in were denied in part because the Astros complained to baseball about some of the extracurriculars. What did you make of the scene? And do you think it's fair for the Astros to have a say in how they're welcomed? Now, I will tell you that I made uh, a couple phone calls on this this afternoon. And what I was told, OK, what I was told was that the Astros had no input with Major League Baseball, hmm. and this was a uh, a policy by the Yankees that they don't let costumes in. Then I did the follow-up question of, okay, well, then what would define a costume? Because we certainly have seen fans wearing judge outfits at Yankee Stadium, and then I got, right. uh, well, I got back to you. Um, look, <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, I personally think, uh, you know, that Dusty Baker had it exactly right last night with what he said. There was no violence. And after that, they can say what they want to say. And the Astros, you know, earned that by what they did in 2017 and 2018. I think last night they probably got a glimpse, uh, you know, the the main guys, Altuve and Correa and uh, Alex Bregman, got a glimpse into the rest of their baseball lives where no matter what they accomplish going forward, they're going to get booed. Jose Altuve may make a speech in Cooperstown, you know, the Hall of Fames in New York. Altuve would probably get booed making that speech hmm. when he would be inducted to the Hall of Fame, and they're not getting away from that. We're talking to ESP, a Major League Baseball insider, Buster Only. So I need you to make sense of a story from last night that uh, Sarah and I were having a laugh about as Donnie Stevenson is apparently the Mets' imaginary hitting coach. <laughs> like, what's going on here with the Mets? Like, are they just having a good time trolling everybody? How should well, we take Fitz, we're this? worried that he's gone because if he was the <laughs> – the imaginary version of another coach that is no longer employed. Does that mean we've lost Donnie Stevenson forever? So I, I've got a great backstory on this because we actually, we just had the Mets on Sunday Night Baseball. So Matt Biscursion and myself, Jeff Dufine, our producer, we're all trying to figure out how to deal with this because the Mets players were all in on, yeah, boy, you know, D- Diesel Donnie made a big difference tonight <laughs> after they, you know, won the game on Saturday and we tried to, you know, just because we're not down the clubhouses, we're assuming that it's a fictional character. And then we pressed, you know, Luis Rojas before the game. He said, no, that's real. And we're like, come on. The problem is, and I know that they were just trying to have fun, but in the end it wound up sort of feeding into this, uh, I think, perception that it's a complete mess, right? Um, I think it's pretty clear when you talk to sources on background, that going into spring training, there was a lot of concern by this new Mets front office that Chili Davis would be a fit for them. Uh, I think 23 games and judging him on that is laughable, mm. but that's the decision that they made. If they wanted to make a change or were, had some doubts about it, they should have fired him before spring training started. So do you think that Donnie Stevenson, though, was either Chili or, or the, the fellow whose name I forgot that got fired along with him? Is there any chance that like just a couple days before the firing, the team was – all grins and super excited about a manifestation of someone who then two days later was fired? Or do we think it was a custodian or the the beer delivery guy or one of the players? 
I think it was an imaginary friend of the hitters. And I do okay. have a theory that Donnie Stevenson has the same initials as Dominic Smith. Ooh. And I almost feel okay. like it was like an alter ego of Dominic Smith, you know, going crazy or cajoling the players. But I, I have absolutely no proof of that. But as we try to solve the riddle without being let into the clubhouse, that's my theory. Okay. Well, we'll find out, I guess, whether if he's still around, right? Uh, if 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 he's not around, well, then that means he wasn't around today, Sarah, because they were shut down again by the court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Fitz. Go ahead. So, <laughs> while we're having you make sense of things, Tony Larusso, White Sox manager, somebody that uh, mm-hmm. when the hiring happened, I think we were pretty uh, we were pretty tough on here on the show, uh, is under the microscope again uh, as he did not know the extra inning rule that would have allowed him to avoid using his closer as a base runner in a zero zero game against the Reds. I mean, give me some perspective on it. How big of a deal is it to you? It's uh, a big deal in that you had a manager not knowing that particular rule, but I think context is really important. I mean, let's face it, since the manifestation of coronavirus last year, it really Major League Baseball has become like the backyard wiffle ball game that you played when you were a kid. Wait, if you hit the ball over the sprinkler head, that's fair. No, no, that's not right. you got to hit it past the kiddie pool, and then it's <laughs> fair. Um, there is a lot of that going on, and yes, Tony LaRusso messed that up. Well, yesterday, because they changed the system owing to coronavirus for how teams turned in lineup, Joe Girardi called on a pitcher from his bullpen, and guess what? That pitcher wasn't put on the proper card, and he actually wasn't eligible to appear in the game. Uh, you know, today in the Mets and Cardinals game, there was an extensive 15-minute delay as they're trying to sort out whether or not an interpreter going to the mound uh, without uh, a coach constituted a mound visit, and the umpire screwed that one up as well. So I think because they're throwing all these new rules at at these teams the last couple of years, uh, we've had a lot of situations like this where the, the, the managers are not as fluent with the rules as they have been in the past. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. By the way, John Means is going to join Freddie and Fitzsimmons tonight, 9 Eastern. That should be that should be a good one. Hey, we were just talking to Fitz, Buster, about Major League Be- Baseball Bachelor, which is the system we're going to use to help him whittle down the teams of the league and pick a team. He hasn't had a baseball team his whole life. He just eliminated five teams tonight based on the first criteria, which is deal breakers. So I'll tell you who he got rid of. He got rid of the Cubs because he said it'd be no fun if we rooted for the same team. He got rid of the White Sox because he said we didn't want to be on opposing sides. And then I informed him the Cardinals are the big rival, and he said he wasn't yet ready to say goodbye to a team that good. So already we're starting to fall apart here in terms of our criteria. He got rid of the A's because they used to mess up his beloved Raiders field. He got rid of the Orioles because he went to a game there once and someone was mean to him. And he got rid of the Astros because obviously why would you jump on a burning garbage fire? Do you disagree with any of the decisions he's made in his initial elimination? No, that sounds about right. I did uh, suspect that he was going to eliminate the athletics because they always complained about how their sewage would overflow after a Raiders Raiders game and it would rain. Right, Fitzy? Yeah, no, you're a thousand percent right, Buster. So, you know, and and I have too many years invested in that. Do you have, like, the opposite? Like, as we go through this process, is there a team you think I should be keeping an eye out for, maybe? Absolutely a perfect choice, and Stosh will love this, the Kansas City Royals. And I'll tell you why. We start with this. First off, that organization is made up of great people. And here's something that distinguishes the Royals from a lot of other teams in baseball. Pitsy, they try to win. They don't tank. 
<laughs> they try to get better. They use wow. the resources in an effort to improve. Like, and that that should excite you as you're looking for a potential suitor here. Yeah, he's not. I wrong like about that. that. I like that. that. I think is... Tim Kirkchen suggested the Tampa Bay Rays. Right? He liked the young, up and coming. You're gonna no. live in the trop with the Rays the rest of your life. Forget it. I feel like the food too it, for the Royals. I mean, food is gonna be a big deciding factor as we get into like ballpark food. It's got to have a good shot at Kansas City. Like the barbecues, they're amazing. So I got to feel like the ballpark food's gonna be. And good, the music right? in Kansas City, right? right? I mean, that's a natural fit for you. I mean, Buster's making some strong points. Decent, decent gear, that's going to come into play, too. I don't, do you like crowns? Do you like royalty? I mean, it's, yes. Who doesn't okay, like Okay, all right. Good royalty? to know. Good to know. Uh, <laughs> Buster, we appreciate your insight, my friend. Thanks for hanging out with us. And uh, I'll let you know how it turns out. The Royals, though, I mean, uh, an endorsement from you has some meaning in this. It they, does. They just took a little move forward in this process. Absolutely. Certainly a lot better for me than Stosh. You can take my word for it. <laughs> yeah, I can actually trust for anyone that doesn't know Stosh, massive Kansas City oh, yeah. fan, all things Kansas City, including the Chiefs, which is a bit of a drawback to our relationship. But the Royals also. <laughs> uh, Buster Olney was joining us on the Goodyear Hotline. Coming up, one of our colleagues thinks that Aaron Rodgers to the Raiders makes too much sense. The problem is he's wrong, and I'll tell you why. Next, ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. On a safari together. Spain and Fitz on Safari on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM. Expense it! <laughs> we'll get radio to pay for that, right? I mean, that seems like a fair thing to do. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. One of those guests could be our bosses if I keep trying to get them to expense a trip to Africa. <laughs> uh, Spain and Fitz, and by the way, uh, Buster only just recommended that I consider the Kansas City Royals uh, as part of my Major League Baseball bachelor process of picking a favorite team. I've now looked at the menu items for some of the best things they offer in their uh, stadium. And I got to say, Sarah, it is it is just catapulting themselves to the top of the list. Like they are moving quickly. They are a riser on this. It's like mm. this is a penny stock that's suddenly it just flying <laughs> through. And everybody's everybody's looking at this wide eyed and bushy. I mean, I'm just I am excited at this point. So uh, a ballpark food will be one of our criteria as we continue to go through this process over the summer. Is in the, the meantime, everybody rose? knows. My Raiders uh, oh, fandom. I don't know if it could be a first impression, Rose, but that's a possibility based solely on the some of the brisket selections he was listing off while he drooled. <laughs> do you do you get first? Like, are there? I guess you get a rose every week. Is that how that? Well, you can tell I have. Listen, we'll talk about it another time. I'll catch you up to speed. Okay. Well, you know what? Kansas City's getting a rose, but that rose has a little bit of barbecue sauce on the edge of it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Spain and Fitz. Uh, so everybody knows my Raiders fandom. And I have made the joke over the last few days that I'm not prepared for Aaron Rodgers to sign with the Broncos because my liver can't handle that much alcohol. That being said, Greeny today on his show, aptly titled Greeny with Mike Greenberg, uh, made his case for why Aaron Rodgers to the Raiders is a perfect fit. This is what he said. I believe John Gruden will move heaven and earth to try and get Aaron Rodgers. And I think it would be a really good matchup. And here's why. Because I think Aaron Rodgers on any team is a championship contender. I genuinely believe that. You put Rodgers on the Las Vegas Raiders and they are a Super Bowl contender. I'm telling you that right now. If Aaron Rodgers leaves Green Bay, I would bet you my house he wins again before they do. Okay. 
I like the Number end of that, one. but I don't think he's saying specifically the Raiders. Let me just, before you get to your Raiders take, I think he just means if he goes somewhere other than Green Bay, he's betting Rodgers over Green Bay. And I agree with that. I don't know if I'm going to say if it's the Raiders, though. I mean, Greeny might want to start figuring out how he's going to pack everything into a much smaller house. Because if he wants to go house for house on this bet, I will take that all day. Safe bet for you. I mean, there is some sustained level of success that the Packers have managed, no matter who's at quarterback. Now, I'm not saying that that's easy to continue, but I think he's really wrong here. And I've heard this narrative a lot, that Aaron Rodgers on any team makes them a Super Bowl team. That's simply not the case in my mind. I mean, Aaron Rodgers on the Raiders would make them almost as talented as Kansas City top to bottom. Kansas City has a better roster top to bottom than the Raiders have right now. If you look at the players they have, especially on the defensive side of the ball and the weapons that they have. Aaron Rodgers going to the Raiders means he'd be throwing to Henry Ruggs and Hunter Renfro and maybe Brian Edwards. That would be his wide receiver tandem. And as much talent as they have with Josh, Josh Jacobs and as much talent as they have with Darren Waller, there are still questions that are real about their offensive line and a million questions about a really young defense that has absolutely no proof of concept. So, Sarah, to me, Aaron Rodgers going to the Raiders would make them the second-best team in their division, not a Super Bowl contender. And realistically, we need to stop presuming that Aaron Rodgers, wherever he goes, has the same level of success Tom Brady had because it's like we're not giving any credit to the team that was already there in Tampa Bay. If, if Aaron Rodgers goes to a team with a great defense and weapons around him, they're a Super Bowl caliber team. But if Aaron Rodgers goes to the Jets, they're not. If he goes to the Raiders, they're not. They're just, there are several teams that don't have the rest of the roster in place to make themselves a Super Bowl team just because they get the MVP in the league. I agree with all that. I will say that it's very clear to me that they would be less uh, effective team than the Chiefs in part because that defense still hasn't been figured out. And the Chiefs offense and and weapons and everything is just it's 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 not yet to be competed with even with Aaron Rodgers there I think the bigger thing is is this a bad move because they're still not as good as the Chiefs where could he go where we would hold them up as as good as the Chiefs not very many places right and so if that's the metric you're using to decide that it's a bad move I don't agree with that but you've talked before about how you just don't think it's the right move for the Raiders at this time or for, for, for Rodgers, for that matter. And I do think there are some teams that are a little bit more complete that would be better destination for him to be in win-now mode over the next couple seasons. The Raiders would be better off at that point if Aaron Rodgers really gets traded and let's say it goes to the Broncos. The Raiders would be better off admitting that they can simply go into complete total rebuild mode and try and let this moment pass while they get themselves the opportunity. They'd have to mortgage their future to bring in Aaron Rodgers, and they won't be good enough to win quickly. What is good enough to win quickly, Sarah? Spain and Fitz, by the way. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Cinco de Mayo. And this is a weird holiday. It is Cinco de Mayo for everybody. A lot of people listening right now are probably on their way to, hopefully driving very safely and socially distanced, someplace that serves margaritas, which (laughs) creates a conundrum for mm-hmm. this show, because it the margarita does. is not necessarily what everybody else thinks to us. Yeah, it's not my friend. And listen, let me point out, first of all, that both Fitz and I are well aware of the history of Cinco de Mayo. We know that it was about a Mexican unlikely victory over France. It's not the same uh, day of celebration of independence. It's not the same as their Fourth of July. It's actually predominantly celebrated by Mexican-Americans, not as much by Mexicans actually in Mexico, although in the area of that win, which was Pueblo, it is actually celebrated. Don't at us. Thank you. Moving on. Cinco de Mayo, especially in America, is a celebration of Mexican-American culture, which often includes tequila and margaritas. And I have a very bad relationship with tequila. I cannot drink margaritas. And I would say of all the drinks that exist out there, 
The one I most wish that I had a good relationship with is tequila. When you go to bars, all of the drinks that sound magical are made with tequila. And then I'll ask if they could use vodka. And they're like, eh, it wouldn't be the same because vodka doesn't really have a flavor to it. And then I'm left out in the cold drinking some lame drinks that are like a strawberry basil vodka. I wish I liked margaritas. I want people to buy pitchers and then for me to drink them. And I can't. So it had me wondering, and I put it up at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz, at Sarah Spain. What's the thing everybody likes you don't like but wish you did? Salmon is another one that's up for, there for me. Very good for you. I hate it. I wish I liked it. But definitely margaritas. Now, look, I'm with you on the margarita. By the way, I, I appreciated your your insight to everybody on Cinco de Mayo. Like, But as somebody that is Irish, every year I feel like I die in the hill of we're not celebrating the, the proper things. But everybody just wants to dress up like a leprechaun and get drunk. Right. Like there are certain holidays. Yes. That's just... What it's become, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's it just it's accepted for what it is. Uh, have you tried sugar on the rim of the margarita? It makes it almost. It's the tequila. I don't have time to get into it, but the first time tequila and I got in a fight, I got sent home from work after puking in the bathroom, left my purse at the bar I was working at, had to get walked home by the bar owner several blocks to where I worked. And the second time I was in Mexico, it was several years later, I thought I'd give it one more shot and ended up puking under a pool table and having a random stranger take me on a bus back to my hotel. Ah. I respect all of that so much. And I'm with you. There's nothing worse than being as someone else that doesn't like tequila. The person left out at the table of pitcher of margarita. Yeah. Like, when everybody's expensive. like, you got to buy your pitcher? own stuff. It's like, yeah, I'll, I'll take, do you guys have like a vodka soda or something? Oh, it's the worst. All right. Uh, you guys can hit us up on uh, Twitter. Get us your thoughts on it. In the meantime, will Steph Curry be enough to carry the Warriors? We'll ask an expert next. Spain and Fitz. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. A headline the other day that Steph Curry saved the regular season for the NBA with his hot April month. Also got himself into the MVP conversation. Just how much has Steph done for the league in a year full of injuries and a little bit of waning interest? We'll get into it. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. It's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And joining us with a lot of straight talk on the Warriors on the Goodyear Hotline, it's NBC Sports Bay Area Warriors reporter Kareth Burke. Kareth, thanks for the time. Thanks so much, Sarah. Let's talk about, we wanted to have Giannis as close to the end of April as possible, because even though Steph continues to be white hot, that month, just kind of in its own, was so incredible. In talking to Steph, was there anything that really triggered his leap from what was a really respectable performance the beginning of the season to that leap he took in April? I don't know if there's anything to pinpoint except Steph being Steph because we've all, all of the reporters, even Steve Kerr, even Steph have been trying to find the words for this. And it's like, we all need to keep a thesaurus nearby. There just aren't words. I mean, historical is the one that I'm landing on. And noticeably those 96 threes in April that stands out to me. That is incredible. In fact, he reached 300 threes this season in the last game against the Pelicans. His total is 307 in a, in a shortened season. He's only played 58 games this year. Wow. I'm not sure what to point at, especially because he's 33 years old. Some of this just feels superhuman. So, so with that being said, I mean, for all of his greatness, the Warriors sit in the eighth seed. How realistic a threat are they if they walk into this play-in tournament to actually make some noise? Well, you're right. I mean, Steph has been shouldering this massive load. He's been dragging the Warriors with him in some of these games. They've had about a dozen 
terrible blowouts this year. So fits they are average. Uh, some people would even say middling, unfortunately. They're 33 and 33. So they're in the eighth seed right now. How much damage can they do? Well, they have a white hot stuff, but team wise, they've been playing with eight guys. The rotation is tight. Um, they've been playing small ball. They only have one true center. So if it shakes out where they meet, say, Utah and Rudy Gobert, what kind of rim protection are they going to have? You know, they might be exposed in some categories. Um, and that's the big question. What do the Warriors do? And that depends on matchups. Kareth Burke is with us, NBC Sports Bay Area Warriors reporter. Kareth, in the games where they do have success, it's not always just Steph going off because we know he can go off and they could still lose the game. What are the through lines that you could point to for the games where they managed to pull together enough as a team? Oh, yeah. Steph being the top scorer in the league coincides with Draymond Green being an assist leader in the Mm -hmm. league. He is averaging 8.7 assists, a career best Um, He's had seven games with 15 or more assists. So Draymond needs some of this shine as well. And I think what's changed for Draymond this season is his engagement level. Last season, when the Warriors were 15 and 50, Draymond was kind of, you know, the last (laughs) man standing from the dynasty there. He was the last guy who was healthy. And it stinks when you're getting pummeled night after night. So Draymond checked out in a lot of ways this season is different. And, And it's the chemistry between Steph and Draymond. It's the bond that builds when you form a dynasty, when you've played nine seasons together. So to me, these two are like a handshake. One success has a lot to do with the other. When you talk about success moving forward, I really thought James Wiseman was going to be a pickup that could be a huge part of the next generation of the Warriors. And obviously injury has derailed some of that. But where does he sit at this point in the plans for the future for Golden State? Yeah, don't don't write him off yet. He only got to play 39 games in his rookie season. And just at those points where he was starting to figure it out, an injury hit. He was dealing with a wrist injury. And then later, just as he was figuring out again, that's when he had the knee injury. So he is going to be a work in progress. Every rookie takes his lumps. But I, I there is a concern that Wiseman already came in a little bit behind because he only played the three games at Memphis. He also missed training camp because he was in the health and safety protocols. And then I think for, for anyone getting used to Warriors basketball, where they don't call a lot of set plays, a lot of it is improvisation by Steph and Draymond, a lot of it is like read and react, and they are playing very quickly. For a rookie to step into that role, that could be difficult. Um, he is the number two pick. I think the Warriors are high on him. I think they want to give him enough time to develop. Um, but next season, you know, he really needs to start making those leaps. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Kareth Burke with us on the Goodyear Hotline. So that month of April took Steph from, you know, a guy that everybody knows can be an MVP to one who was actually being considered and put up in conversations for the MVP. Is it possible for him to win that award, knowing what we know about how much the league prioritizes how good your team is? I was thinking a lot about this, and and I'm not sure if I'm the person to answer this because (laughs) I have so much bias. Steph is the person I see the closest. But if you're talking about most valuable player, Steph should be in that conversation. What he does for his team is incredible. The numbers he's putting up in the league are incredible. And I know there's that narrative, well, then your team has to be winning too. Your individual performance should be boosting the team 
as far as the uh, you know the wind column goes. So I I don't know. I really do understand both sides of this, and it comes back to me just being in awe of Steph because I get to see it up close. Every opponent's game plan this season is the same. Put the best defender on Steph like a blanket full court. Double team Steph once he crosses half court. Blitz him. Throw bodies at him. <laughs> and he still gets these shots off. That is MVP caliber Steph and numbers that have matched or surpassed his previous MVP awards. I think it's easy, Kareth, to, to turn around and say, hey, as long as they get healthy, the future of the Warriors is bright and everything looks good, right? But I feel like we've said that the last couple of years and that bug has bit them. What makes the Warriors great again long term? Um, a lot of this is predicated on Clay Thompson, how well he returns. Um, and as this trio, as the Warriors' core starts to age, Steph, Clay, Draymond, how much more can they ring out of them? And you do have three incredible players right there, but who is the supporting cast? I mean, the Warriors definitely need a bench transformation for next season. They need their number two Wiseman to, to start making an impact right away. Um, as, as funny as it is with the way that the Warriors played small ball, um, a lot of the conversation is about how much the Warriors need a center, um, somebody, a veteran off the bench, somebody who can help guide this team. Um, Wiseman will be the starter, but who can show him the ropes and who can be the reliable rim protector when he's not in the game? Um, as far as Clay goes, I think Clay Thompson, I think he's going to return very well. I don't know if he's going to be 100% clay. He might be 90% clay, maybe even 95. There's a lot of encouraging things to point at for guys coming back after an ACL. Uh, well, an ACL and an Achilles. Um, and, you know, as far as his body type, I don't think an Achilles tear hurts a, a shooter, a guard, as much as it does a big man. So it, it, a lot of this depends on how clay is and, and what this Warriors core can do as they start to get older. Kareth Burke, NBC Sports Bay Area Awards reporter with us here on Spain and Fitz. Before we let you go, what do you make of the idea that the Warriors could be a big upset for any team in the play-in games? Do you think that they have enough, if Steph goes off and Draymond has a good game, to, to take out a team like the Lakers or someone else who might fall low enough? I think they can be a threat. I think they have championship DNA. I think especially Steph and Draymond, with their leadership, they will make damn sure that there is a different level of play come the postseason. So I think they can be dangerous. I, I, I don't know. I wouldn't want to draw them in the first round. Right. <laughs> Neither would I. Karen, <laughs> thanks for the time. Appreciate it. You got it. Spain and Fitz, I appreciate it. Thank you Karen so much. Burke with us, giving us the Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up on Spain and Fitz, a talking dog. No, it's not a joke. A woman is teaching her dog to talk with buttons, and I spoke to her. Fitz and I get a little bit weird coming up next on Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. From Fitz, get it on a nightly basis here on Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and the Spain and Fitz podcast, which you can get on the ESPN app, Apple iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe so you don't miss incredible insight like that. I mean, that is an, an analogy for the ages. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance, making it easy to bundle your home and car insurance. So every once in a while, we'd like to take a little piece of the podcast that I do. That's what she said with Sarah Spain and play it on the show. We call it Nod to the Pod so we could discuss something from it. And I had a feeling Fitz would be very intrigued by this week's guest. 
She's a speech pathologist who usually specializes in kids that are nonverbal or limited verbal. And they use sort of like an iPad to touch buttons for words that they want to say when they need to communicate. So she teaches them how to do that. She got a puppy and noticed that a lot of the initial signs of a toddler in adopting and wanting to learn language were being expressed, right? They had the ability to look at her when she talked to them and were engaged and wanted to listen. They could have shared points of attention when she pointed to something or, or looked like she was addressing a water bowl or a toy or something. And she thought, why not just see if a dog could learn how to talk using buttons the same way that kids do? It's pretty incredible. Her dog knows up to 50 words now, can say it's angry, sad, mad, wants something, enjoyed something. And here's a little bit of that conversation in this week's Nod to the Pod. Here's this week's Nod to the Pod. You start to notice, because of your immediate obsession, which I don't blame you for, um, with this new dog, that a lot of the signals that you're trying to, to give her in teaching her are a lot of the ways that you interact with the kids you work with. So what was the sort of epiphany moment of, let me see if the work that I do with humans might work with a dog? It was just after seeing, like you said, all of those similarities in her communication skills and these um, pre-linguistic skills that toddlers show right before they start talking. I just, I couldn't stop thinking if Stella can understand words and if dogs can understand words, because there's been so much research showing how many words dogs um, can actually understand, you know, she should be able to say them then. That's you know, language goes both ways, understanding and using. So if she just had a way to say these words, would she be able to? And as soon as that question popped into my head, I couldn't see anything else. I couldn't think about anything else. I just had to try it. And that's why I literally ordered buttons four days after I brought Stella home. You were surprised that she didn't end up requesting eat all the time, which I also was... I was like that. I don't buy it. And then you said dogs don't stand next to their bowl and ask for dinner repeatedly. They know when they get it. And even though they would, if you gave it to them, they're not sitting there demanding it. And so they wouldn't do that with a button either, which is pretty wild. Definitely. That, that was a big, like a pivotal moment in my thinking about her communication was, you know, I kind of realized at that point, I was thinking about Stella in a way that society has, led me and most others to believe, you know, super food motivated, which yes, is true, but that's not all that dogs are. And that's not how she communicates with other forms of communication. So why would I expect her to just say, eat all day long if she could? And, you know, now she says, eat like clockwork every morning and every evening for dinner. And then Um, Sometimes in the middle of the day, if she's wanting her treat that we give her when we leave or something, but it's never been a repetitive, just give me food sort of situation, which I thought was pretty cool. For more, please subscribe and listen to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain on your smart speaker or wherever you listen to podcasts. So Fitz, have you watched any of these videos of this dog? Yeah, so I've seen some of the social videos on it, and it has been one of those things that feels like almost too good to be true, you know? And yeah. it's it's amazing because I think anybody that's ever owned a dog sits there and says, I just wish that I could communicate with them. The, the opportunity to do it, and when you see some of the videos, seeing the intelligence with which statements are made is just 
sort of stunning, but the way she just described it actually makes it make sense. You know, like I don't think I necessarily give enough credit to my dogs for the communication they already give me. It's just without the buttons, adding mm-hmm. the buttons, giving a voice. I, ooh, I, I don't know. I don't even know how I'd handle that. Like it'd be an emotionally cool moment, you know? Yeah. Well, one of the reasons I include the part about the eat button is because that's literally the first thing everyone says. Oh, if I did this, my dog wouldn't talk using the buttons they would just want food over and over and her point is such a valid one like we already those of us who are really you know dog obsessed like you and i are how many rescues do you have four uh, yeah uh it's funny that i have to do the math right now three we have three we have because three you've right lost now. a couple lately unfortunately yeah. um and i have three and we communicate all the time. Like, think about when you have, like, a dog sitter and you have to explain to them, okay, well, when they do this weird thing, it's because, like, they don't want to just sit next to you. They need you to, like, move your legs so they can sit inside them. Or, like, you know, when they're hitting this door over here, it means they want X or Y. We learn all these things. And I thought, I started to feel sad, actually, when she said a dog can understand up to a thousand words and they can't say any of them back. So... Think about the times when your dog is sad or, 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 or whining or unhappy and they can't communicate to you at all what's wrong. And maybe with this communication system, they can let you know, like more than just tipping their water bowl or they need to go outside. But other things like one of the ones she has, that's a pretty impressive is a help button. And so like the dog's toy is stuck in the couch or like there's a treat that went somewhere that they can't get to. And now the dog could say, help Christina, and then like walk her over and she can solve this problem for them. I thought it was interesting too, just seeing one of the viral videos that I'd seen on it where a dog was asking specifically for who they wanted. And if Mm -hmm. you've ever had the dogs, you know, in in the house, sometimes they do just gravitate towards one person or, or there's just a moment where they want attention from one person. So to see that was really powerful to me on a video to, to have a dog actually be able to tell you, no, no, no. I want to see, you know, Sunny right now, not you. Like, I think that's, there's so much power to that ability to communicate and hear it. I, I just, it, uh, at the same time, I sit there and say, my God, it seems so impossible. Like, it would seem so impossible to train through. Like, you're going to try and, and make this happen at this point? Like, because it feels like it would be so difficult to to train and make it happen. But if you can, it'd be so fulfilling. Yeah, so on the one hand, it was easy for her because she had a puppy. It's Spain and Fitz, by the way, Sarah Spain. Jason Fitz doing a little nod to the pod of my podcast this week. Um, She had a puppy, so it was easy because she was training this puppy all the other things about being alive and having owners, right? But on the other side, I've been with my dogs for so long that we already communicate a ton. So my dog, Banks, already started using the buttons that say help outside on our door to get out to the deck because they can't get out there unless I open the door, and that's their favorite place. And because Banks is so used to me interacting with him there was a reason that i kept pushing these buttons next to the door like he knows there's a reason for that i'm not opening the door instead of opening the door like i normally would i'm hitting help outside help outside and so he's like well if that's what i need to go do you're doing that for a reason took him less than a day so a lot of them are going to probably take more work but the fact that my dogs know i'm not just going to randomly point to something and just like stare at it they know that there's a reason and so i think it's going to work i'm gonna have to try this i mean it's just too Especially with Annabelle being younger, like I can integrate yeah. uh, that, so much of that with her. And then uh, I've always believed once you have one dog integrated with it, it becomes they, they show each other so much. Totally. It's really cool, cool. I mean, just imagine your dog saying, I love you. That's enough for me to teach them. You, you know just, what I mean? So um, I'll just cry uncontrollably. Right, for four exactly. Because it finally happened. It's at hunger for words on Instagram for the number. Go follow. I mean, it's incredible the things she notices when their habit change, when they move and there's not a beach nearby. It's, it's crazy. Uh, speaking of crazy, 
The NHL is wilding out. We'll get into the details on that next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Get you lots of fun stuff out of there. Plus, you can catch up with anything you've missed on the show. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Uh, by the way, 50 seconds into the Rangers Capitals tonight, uh, there was already nine guys in the sin bin. That, of course, is the inevitable start to their first meeting since the Tom Wilson incident that drew just a $5,000 fine. It is a Twitter is just up uh, roaring about this at this point with lots of opinions on it. So we're going to get some expertise on all things hockey with ESPN NHL reporter Emily Kaplan joining us now on the Goodyear Hotline. Emily, thanks so much for your time. Uh, obviously, Tom Wilson is the big conversation with that fine and with the incident. So let's start by giving everybody just a little bit of the backstory on how we got here with Wilson oh man where to begin with the Tom Wilson origin story um, <laughs> I think you need to know first that he is the most polarizing player in the league to fans actually in the league he's a little less polarizing he's beloved by teammates I've heard people in the capital say he would be the captain if not for Ovechkin I know a lot of guys on other teams who love him he plays the game on the edge though and sometimes crosses the line and the Rangers basically thought he crossed the line uh, in their last game on Monday night where um, he pulled down Artemi Panarin, was punching Pat Wolfwood-Nevich. It was just a pretty big melee. Uh, but the Department of Player Safety looked at it and they said, you know, everything else around it was kind of just wrestling and things we see all the time or incidental falls. Him punching Buchnevich on the ice, that wasn't cool. We'll give him a $5,000 fine. They didn't suspend him. The Rangers took umbrage to it. They put out a statement. Uh, this statement has James Dolan's name written all over it basically calling for the head or the job of uh, the head of player safety, George Perro, saying he's unfit for the job. League office is not too happy with that. And then um, I'm sure we'll get into the rest of it, but like that just took us to this morning. Let me ask, and I, you know, my deepest investment in hockey was when the Blackhawks were on their run where I could just whittle off all the names around the league and I knew all of the storylines. This reminds me of Rafi Torres. Is that a fair comparison? Someone who just gets suspended so many times and doesn't seem to have any regard for the opponents on the ice and at some point the league needs to do something much more definitive if they expect Wilson to stop the behavior. Is that a fair comparison? I think so. You know, when I was talking to a player about this yesterday, um, like I thought he summed it up perfectly where he said, you know, Tom Wilson's the guy that I want on my team. Um, you know, I, I want him behind me. Yes, he crosses the line sometimes and plays on the edge. But why would he correct his behavior if the league is still enabling him and not telling him to? Um, and I, I think that's kind of where we're at with him. And I also think it's interesting that you mentioned Rafi Torres because the last time an NHL team was fined for speaking out against the league was 2013. It was Doug Wilson with the Sharks. And he made comments about a Rafi Torres suspension. They were much tamer than what James Dolan or slash the Rangers just said. So um, they were fined 100 k uh, That's just mm. to get a sense of where we're at with uh, what the Rangers' punishment might be. Wow. We're talking to ESPN NHL reporter Emily Kaplan on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So from all of this, now we end up with the Rangers making some transactions. I mean, they're fire people, and that seems to me uh, to be a bit of a surprise, Emily. Like, the, the Rangers were obviously in rebuilding no- mode. We know that, but to turn around and fire their GM and their team president uh, seems surprising. You're in these circles. What's your reaction? Um, so I thought there was a chance that they could make a move. First, John Davidson, I'm just struck by. Like, Jeff Gordon, um, you know, I know they wanted to give Chris Dury this job. Um, he's the assistant general manager. They just made him the GM. He had been interviewing for a lot or had gotten interest from a lot of jobs and turned them down. 
Um, so that's where I think they got with this. A lot of people in the league are shocked by the timing, though, because the Rangers have performed well lately. Yes, they're going to miss the playoffs, but a lot of league, people in the league view them as ahead of schedule. The young players are doing well, and that's pretty much what Jeff Gordon was tasked to do. Um, but this was a decision by James Dolan. He's an impatient guy. He wants to make the playoffs. He thinks they should have been progressing faster. Um, and he just made this move. So the timing, I think, is a little bit stunning. A lot of people in the folks, uh, folks in the league thought, okay, maybe something could happen this offseason. But with three games remaining, um, you typically don't see this. And, of course, just on the heels of that statement and them being the center of the hockey universe and really the sports universe for, like, 24 or 48 hours, um, it just kind of seems like weird timing. Emily Kaplan with us here on Spain and Fitz, our great ESPN NHL reporter. So then add to all of this drama, the firings, the potential fines, etc. Great legendary Ranger Mark Messier steps in with some comments. Sounds a bit like he might be angling for a position within the new regime, and he certainly had a lot to say about the makeup of the roster. One of the things that you have to be able to do is have answers for the other team. Uh, Rangers had no answers for that, and... Uh... It's a tough game, whether you like uh, Wilson's actions or not, uh, whether you agreed with him or not, uh, whether you're a fan of his or not, uh, is uh, up to every individual. But, uh, you know, the NHL didn't think it was uh, warranted a suspension, and he roughed up the guys, and unfortunately they they didn't have guys uh, to uh, counteract that. I've watched the attitude around enforcers, around fights, around handling stuff on the ice when your, you know, skill players are messed with, kind of change over the years. Is it changed enough to say that what Messier is implying is antiquated? Or is there still a, 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 a belief around the league that you need those guys and that toughness to have any success? The first, I, I can't believe I'm doing this because I grew up a Rangers fan and Mark Messier is like God to all of us, right? 1994 Stanley Cup. Um, but I would poke a few holes in his argument. Mm. Um, you know, the Rangers have a guy that was tough and that was Brendan Lemieux. They trade him at the trade deadline because they needed to get these young players experience the job that Jeff Gordon was tasked to do. They just need a lineup spot. So, um, you know, Jeff Gordon's high ends were kind of tied there. They also do have some players on the roster who do have some toughness. Jacob Trubo, who I've heard could probably be the next captain of the team. He's a tough guy. He's a defenseman. He's just out right now. He's injured. Lingren's kind of a tough guy out. He's injured. Um, as for just general philosophy, um, it's tough, you know, because we hear about Tom Wilson and he's so polarizing, but everyone I talk to kind of ends with the same statement, but I love that guy on my team. Um, So I do still think there's a place for it, a kind of a protector, a guy, um, you know, who can get in your face. The Rangers currently didn't have one on the ice on Monday, but that doesn't necessarily philosophically, they don't believe in it um, or they won't have one next season. Emily, real quick, before we let you go, you've said James Dolan's name more in this interview and I think I've heard said about the Knicks all year. Is there a spot here where, like, we talk about his tinkering all the time with the Knicks? What, what, how would you evaluate the job he's doing, frankly, with the Rangers? Yeah, it's so funny you say that, Fitz, because I feel the same. It's, you know, he's been really hands-off with the Rangers, I think, especially in comparison to the way he is so hands-on with the Knicks. And sometimes you forget this is a James Dolan-run organization until you get a statement like the one they put out the other night, and then you're like, oh, yes, I remember who's running them. Um, And I think people in the league office kind of feel the same way, that he's been an owner that's behind the scenes, not as vocal. Um, But we know with what we've seen with the Knicks, like when he has conviction of something and he wants to act, he'll do it no matter how unpopular it is. Um, And he just exercised that this week. 
Emily, before we let you go, I know we just said that, but I forgot I wanted to ask you, too, because you mentioned earlier, and for those who've been following along, we are very, very close to the end of the regular season for the NHL. Give us a a kind of broad playoff picture, who are the favorites, but also how's it going to look? And and is there anything uh, super different this year? we're, We're coming out of the bubble season, and this is sort of a normal season, but with the different divisions and everything else. What do we expect uh, once the playoffs begin? All right, first, I'll tell you how it looks. Um, first, the first two rounds are divisional only, which is weird and crazy. And these guys are sick of playing each other already because they've only played <laughs> within their division all season, but they got to keep going. Um, and then after that, um, we could have that Canadian team that emerges from the North temporarily relocate to the States, which would be kind of funky. Um, but other than that, I wouldn't expect any kind of bubble, at least for the first two rounds. Um, as for the teams that you should be paying attention to, I mean, it's always the Maple Leafs year, but maybe it really is their year. They, you know, have Austin Matthews leading the way. They're as dynamic offensively as anyone. Um, the pressure is certainly going to be on for them. Colorado and Vegas are the heavyweights in the West. Again, we'll have to face each other just to get to the semis, which doesn't seem fair. And then I think the most interesting thing going on right now, the East is super competitive. I have no idea who's going to get out of it. But the Carolina Hurricanes, the Tampa Bay Lightning, and the Florida Panthers in the mm-hmm. Central, um, mm-hmm. the fact that all of those teams, firstly, that those two teams have kept up with the Lightning um, and have looked so good all season, like those are actually the playoff games that I think I'm most excited for. You guys can follow her on Twitter at Emily M. Kaplan. And don't forget, I'm a lifelong diehard Golden Knights fan unless the Preds do better, and then I'm a diehard Preds fan. <laughs> Let's go, Emily. <laughs> Appreciate your time. Thank you so much for hanging out with us, my friend. Always. Have a good one, guys. I'm nothing if not transparent at this point. Emily Kaplan on Spain and Fitz brought Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. All right, it's Cinco de Mayo, and that means margaritas, which creates an issue for this show. We've asked you the one thing that everybody else is all in on that you're not, and we've gotten some crazy responses. You'll hear some of them next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Bain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Again, the biggest story of the day today, uh, as of right now, the Orioles' John Means has a no-hitter against the Mariners. Missed a perfect game thanks to a really strange rule, by the way. Uh, A wild pitch on a strikeout. It was strike three, but it was a wild pitch, and the runner still advanced to first base, and as a result, he doesn't get the perfect game. I would be really, Sarah, quite frustrated Mm -hmm. with, uh, you know, like like as much as it's a team game in that moment, you had the chance at the always elusive perfect game were it not for somebody else's mistake. Oh, that would not sit well with me. Plus, it's just a dumb rule. There's no, there's no reason why that rule should exist in baseball. Yeah, I mean, it was a strike three. Like, he's out. I don't understand yeah, why like, you. Why do we randomly decide like, on that one? You have to fully have the ball in your glove and yada. I mean, a, a, someone stealing a base on a wild pitch, fine, but. You struck out. I don't get it. And it leads to, you know, opportunity lost. But at the same time, at least still opportunity to be in the record books as means accomplishes something incredibly difficult. Uh, Instead, he he becomes the first individual no-hitter for the Orioles since Jim Palmer did it in 1969. That's the longest stretch for any team in the majors without an individual no-hitter. They did have a four-pitcher combined no-hitter in 1991 but uh the orioles on the day that they're really they're they're taken off my board for major league bat, ba- uh, major league baseball bachelor they still have you know they, they have a consolation prize and john means going out and uh you know giving them a huge win uh in the meantime spain and fits on espn radio we've been asking everybody about cinco de mayo because neither of us like tequila and 
I'll go a step farther. I think we both dislike tequila. Let's go, you know, we'll go yep. all in on this. Mm-hmm. I, like, I don't order, if I get to a fancy restaurant, the first thing I do when I'm looking at the cocktail menu is I just pull out my phone because I'm willing to admit I'm an idiot with ingredients when it comes to drinks. So I'll type in everything. And if, if anything comes in tequila, then I'm out. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, I'm or not mezcal for that matter. It's just tequila oh. that's smokier. It's just tequila <laughs> hiding in a new outfit and finding a new way to make me barf at the end of the night. And honestly, I'm sad about it. And that's where the conversation came from. There's plenty of things I dislike, and it's not that big of a deal. Like, I get by without liking some of those things. But tequila is in so many good cocktails, and margaritas always look fun. Especially when I'm out in Arizona for Cub Spring training, we always go to the Salty Senorita, and it's a beautiful spring day. It's sunny. Everybody's getting pictures of margaritas with salty rims, and I'm over there asking them if they can make a daiquiri with rum. It's just, it's not as fun, Fitz. And it's listen, also some- awkward, by the way. Like when right. the whole table's like, let's just get a couple of pictures of margaritas. Yeah. And you're like, now I got this weird moment where the cheap guy in me is like, well, 100%. well we split the bill at the end. Am I, am I responsible yeah. for a portion yeah, of those you're the uh, guy. Marks? Yeah, you're the guy. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> um, that's also why I started drinking beer, because uh, slight aside, it was strange at Cornell, a fraternities threw a party that was a real party that wasn't just a couple of people going over and drinking in a room. They had to register it with this alcohol board council. Now, that sucks, except for the fact that they had to pay a small fee. We would have to pay a small cover to get into these parties, which in college, like, that sounds absurd, right? But it was usually about 4 or $5. And then there were bartenders at all the frat parties. So, like, all the drinks that you would want would be made. They would have a full bar. So for all of college, I drank like vodka crayon or whatever the hell, you know, and I hated beer. Like it would make me cry if I tried to drink beer. That's how much I hated it. And then I moved out to L.A. I was super broke. And every time we went to a bar and I would get a vodka drink and everyone else would get pictures of beer, I would look and be like, gosh, minus $10 every time. And you guys are like throwing a couple bucks. I'm like, this is it. I'm learning. And I just would like hold my nose and power through. And that's how I learned to like beer. Yeah, well, you know, the funny thing is when I first started dating Sunny years ago and she like she's not a beer drinker and I was like, Oh, that's cool, that's fine until I was responsible for the bar tab for apple teas, which are just <laughs> Yeah. Oh I no. Mean, oh no. Oh god. Oh god. That's like the time I was poor and went to the Beverly Hills Hotel. I think that was where it was. <laughs> and they told everybody, You have to get the chocolate martini and my friend and I are like, Okay, we'll buy one and then we'll find the the cute boys to buy us drinks, right? That's what you do when you're twenty one and you're poor. So I was like, I'll get the first round, and then you can get the second. And it was $53 for two drinks. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And I was, like, going to cry. <laughs> it was too late to put the chocolate martinis back in the machine or wherever the hell they made it with. <laughs> that is that is amazing. You learn your and lessons, and it, you start to so- like Bud Light. <laughs> <laughs> The cheapest beer possible, we'll take it. Uh, well, we've been asking everybody to chime in on on the sort of the thing that you've missed out on. Everybody else loves it. You hate it. And I rarely see a response that make my eyes just sort of go out of my head. But Gen <laughs> C just tweeted us with bacon. Everyone oh, makes God. fun of me for not liking it. To me, it tastes like smoke and sadness. Oh. I, I don't know that I've ever met anybody that openly doesn't like bacon. So this feels uh, this feels strange to me. Okay, I'm I, I I think that that one's up there because even as a vegetarian, that was one thing I thought I would miss, and I still do smell it sometimes and think I remember bacon. Bacon was delicious, but this <laughs> one might make you even go crazier. At versus underscore linguist, cake and cookies. I have to leave the room if they're baking with a face that looks like she's puking. Okay, so cake uh, and things. cookies make her feel nauseous. That is so sad. 
Yeah, you first of all, just stop listening to our show because there's no point. Uh, <laughs> what we'll about never pie get fits? Uh, well, that's trash. But <laughs> here's the thing, though. I'm thinking about her like we should actually hang out because she'll leave the room and I will mm-hmm. eat all of that's the cake and true. cookies while they're baking. It's I think no it's actually a perfect friendship. Fighting you for that. Uh, at Mike underscore Mulberry, coffee and wine. My wife despises that her lifelong dream of drinking these with her partner is not accomplished through me. The trade-off is that I will always get up to pour wine at a moment's notice. That one stands out because, you know, as much as I talk about partying a lot, I'm not a heavy drinker. Like, I don't drink during the week, really. Like, I, I'm a social drinker. I like to go out with friends. But it, my, my friends who are single are on the dating apps, and they see that someone is a teetotaler. They're like, it's not that I mind that they don't drink. It's more like... I like going to Napa and doing wine tastings. I like having a bottle with dinner. Like there's a there's a big social aspect to those things. And I would argue the same with coffee. Now maybe you get tea in the morning and it's a little bit different. Coffee is usually a singular beverage. But like that splitting of wine and the wine taste like that's tough if someone's really into that. Uh, the number of my friends uh, a couple of months ago when I cut all the alcohol out that were like, hey, this isn't permanent, right? Because <laughs> you're not going to be any fun to hang out with. But as much as I laugh. like That's too bad, by some... the way, that yeah, you are yeah, not fun unless you're drinking. That's, that might be something more to about take the note of. setting, particularly, you know, <laughs> if you get down to Nashville, like I'm not sure. I always joke with everybody. I'm like, OK, you want to move to Nashville because you love the city because there's so much to do. OK, once you're tired of country music and you don't want bar beer, what do you right. do in the city? Like at that point, you're like. Just go hang out at the Walmart. There's a movie theater down the road. Like, it's like any other city at that point. So I think my friends are just, you know, victim to that. Michelle says, sushi. I've tried it, want, tried it, want to like it, but I can't wrap my head around slabs of raw fish tasting good. Yeah. Everybody sort of finds a way into sushi, usually with the fried stuff that has a bunch of mayo yeah. on it. But the other side is I watched a, a repeat the other day of Adam Ruins Everything that may have ruined some sushi for me oh, no. for a very long time. So if you've never watched the show, skip the sushi episode. Yeah, I heard the same thing about the movie Seaspiracy. Like, if you ever want to eat tuna again, don't watch Seaspiracy. Uh, the one that yeah. really nailed it for me, like, even more so than my sadness about not liking tequila and all the cocktails I miss because of that and the margaritas I miss out on, at Scott C. Danielson. I don't know that I've met someone with this exact problem, but he said, as a vegetarian, mushrooms – they're a replacement item or they're put in so many dishes and I don't like them. It would make eating out and ordering a lot easier. 100%. That's the biggest problem with me becoming a vegetarian a couple of years ago is I absolutely hate mushrooms. And every restaurant is like, oh, you're a vegetarian? Here's a portobello sandwich. Or, oh, you're a vegetarian? Here's a mushroom risotto. Like everything is mushrooms. I hate them to the point that when Brad and I started dating one time, we kissed and an hour after he ate lunch. And I was like, ew, did you eat mushrooms? He's like, yeah, they were on my sandwich an hour ago. I was like, ew. Like that's how much. I get the, the transitive property of mushrooms is even abhorrent. As you well know, I am sort of one of those people that will eat anything basically in life. And it is funny because Sunny has always been the exact opposite. So the number yeah, of times like, I've just learned not yeah. to like ingredients anymore <laughs> because I'm like, hey, don't even try. She's not going to eat the following things. And like you just start like that's why any like Catbird Seats, a great restaurant in Nashville where you have no choice in the menu. I would never take her someplace like no. there because she would immediately be but that's like. Why, that's why we work out. Brad's the same. He eats pretty much everything except now he's a vegetarian too. And I'm very picky. By the way, at Incro Marty, I think nailed this by saying people. <laughs> you know, it's something a lot of people like that you wish you liked more. I completely agree with you. Most of them bother me. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.